This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And this week, it's a conversation with the brewer behind one of New Hampshire's newest breweries, Devin Bush of Wild Bloom Beers. From tasting through his portfolio to the ethos that drives the beer, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. And we'll get into it all in just a moment. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast by simply searching All About Beer where you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, are you thinking about cutting back on alcohol this January? If so, check out Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Athletic makes a wide selection of near beers, including IPAs, Goldens, Darks, Light Brews, and more. Give Dry a try this month with Athletic. And new Athletic customers can receive 20% off of their first order of two six-packs or more when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code AAB20 at checkout by March 31st, 2023. Thanks to Athletic for sponsoring this episode. I was in Manchester, New Hampshire earlier this week for the State's Brewers Guild Conference, and I had a chance to sample my way through a lot of what the state is currently producing. And this was especially true during my conversation with Devin Bush of Wild Bloom Beer. He's the head brewer and co-founder, along with his wife, Beth Ibbets, of the Littleton, New Hampshire Brewery, which recently opened a tap room with a focus on Cezannes, Belgians, and lagers. He's a graduate of the Brew Lab at the University of Sunderland, has a certificate from the International Guild of Brewers and Distillers, and has been brewing for Bridge Road Brewers in Australia, among other breweries across Europe and the U.S. throughout his career. He was also awarded the inaugural NH Brewer of the Year in 2020 and serves on the New Hampshire Brewers Association's Education Committee. What was clear from this conversation, and while he opened several beers along the way, is that he has a passion for local ingredients. And by that, I mean actual local ingredients. So let's get into it. Here's our conversation. I'm not going to ask you to speak for your entire state, but I'm going to ask you to speak for your entire state. Love it. What, where is New Hampshire when it comes to beer in 2023? In 2023, I think forever, actually, it's kind of been the lost one of New England because we are surrounded by what historically has been great beer states. Right. With Vermont on one side, Maine on the other, and then Mass below, which Mass has its own reputation for beer, partly because of beer advocate. And I don't even think so much for the breweries that came out of there. Like definitely like Sam Adams stuff grew out of there, but I think sure. they were the epicenter of festivals for a long time. It's so interesting to put the onus of Massachusetts beer on beer advocate. That's like, not something that I ever, like I knew, I knew the guys, I went to the festivals, but I, I never thought of them as the identity of the state. Yeah. Cause I think in the early days, of that there wasn't a single brewery that was kind of the standout at that time. There was a lot of great beer, but yeah. there was no brewery that was getting really big national attention until the more recent years. Okay. So when the Trillium started, when the Treehouse started, and when even Night that, Shift and, you know, sure. that that kind of thing. But before so that 2012, 2013, yeah, that kind and of thing. Yeah. Before that it was and Sam Adams, yes, obviously a big Massachusetts brand, but they were so national yeah. they didn't represent the state. Yeah. Um God, that's interesting to, 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 to think about and something to dive into later on. But New Hampshire being largely forgotten, ignored. And also the- legislatively, it was not good for breweries to exist for a long time here. So it was very constrained. So when I got to New Hampshire, the guy who was the packaging manager of the brewery I went to, yeah. he said New Hampshire was basically stuck around 12 breweries for most of his entire life. Sure. And, and I can I know who most of those are because right. they've been around for 25, 30 years. Exactly. And then legislation changes happened that a lot of breweries started popping up and booming and becoming its own identity. But at that point, all the other surrounding states were already established beer nationally. Yeah. Has that been to the benefit of... Well, let's back up. The legislative changes then... Yeah, so like, you know, having your own tap room. So when I actually got to the state, you weren't allowed to charge people for samples in your tap room. I remember the first time that I visited, uh, I think Tuckerman, 
uh, like way, way back in the day. Oh yeah. And, and you went was, on the tour and you had a beer with this thing and that. Yeah. 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 You like paid for a tour and it was free beer yeah. and they got pizza from like flatbread down the road or something like that. Yeah. It was fun. Um, but so the legislative changes to open up a tap room to sort of join the rest of the country. Correct. Yeah. Yep. That was that the biggest change. I think that was one of the biggest changes. Like a lot of this was happening as I joined the state, but so that was a big change. And then they opened up a, what they called a nano brewery license, which was basically under 2000 barrels. You were allowed to have a tap room, serve people, beers, X, Y, Z. But for a long time, it was just very difficult to operate. And, the distribution model here is that it, there was really only two distributors for forever. Sure. There was no independence well, either. I mean, population based. Exactly. There's yeah. 1.3 million people who live here. So it's a small audience anyways. <laughs> it's like my county in Jersey. Right. It's, yeah. it's such a small audience. And so that's why I think it just, for some people, if you didn't know what was happening or what existed, it kind of just got lost. Yeah. But it also allowed a lot of breweries now to grow up and flourish and find their niche and find what they're doing. And especially, I think, during the pandemic, that actually changed for a lot of breweries in a good way. Yeah. Was because a lot of other states were more restrictive than what New Hampshire was. And so the tourist areas of New Hampshire boomed for those years, and those breweries started getting big attention. Did, did you feel that when the changes started happening because of New Hampshire's reputation of government and everything, that like when, when you finally, when the breweries were able to say, like, Hey, it doesn't make sense that we're not allowed to do this. Like that the state listened? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. the New Hampshire Brewers Association had a very good in with the governor's council on COVID, whatever, whatever, whatever the sure. thing was. And it really was they were in contact all the time as far as what do you need to do to make it work? Because the governor is very small business friendly with that. Yeah. And he likes beer. And so it was, what do we need to do to make an executive order for you guys to survive? And then the New Hampshire Brewers Association was really on board with uh, codifying those things into law. Once the executive orders were up, we were still able to do those things. Obviously, uh, in New Jersey right now, if people listen to steal this beer, we've been talking about it quite a bit, but even in other States, I think beer is this ever present commodity, this ever present sort of thing for those of us who are drinking it, who are enjoying it, go to tap rooms. But it strikes me as it's really interesting for you all with, you know, what, 1.3 million, mm-hmm. you said, in the state. Like, like, you can actually get the ear of elected officials oh, in yeah. your industry because of just the sheer size of the state and actually affect change in a lot of ways. And I, I, I want to say that, you know, just there are ways that other states could do the same thing, even if they have populations... 10 times the size as you guys. Absolutely. For one example of that is day two of me opening my new tap room. The newly elected senator, state senator for my region was in the tap room before we opened to say hello. Okay. So it's that close. She's from that town. She popped in. She wanted to see. And specifically, hey, what do you need to do? What what changes are you looking for? What has to happen? And are, is any brewery presenting legislation that we should get behind? That was her questions like first five minutes. Because they recognize the importance of not just the industry, but the people who are actually like constituents hang in there. Like, that, yeah, that's what I never understood about politicians is like beer drinkers are the voters as well. And why don't you want to at least like not even pay lip service, but just like show up and say like, hey, this place is really busy on a Saturday afternoon. Right. Like, yeah. It's that it's, you know, and especially going back to New Hampshire, you have a tourist season, you have tourist areas, but you also have a huge local population that drives, not obviously huge, but you have a local population that drives traffic there. And without that, you have nothing. And so it's that locals are the ones that are the, like you said, the constituents that they can get in front of. So it just makes sense, especially here where there's so many representatives, because I believe New Hampshire has a, the largest um, house of reps than anywhere else. Because there was some law that said for every 20,000 people or 30,000 people, there had to be a rep, something like that. There's some, some insane statute. So there's 400 representatives. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of noise. It's a lot of noise. Yeah. Yeah. But it means you can get the ear of a lot of people quickly, which obviously helps things down the road. What do you find people wanted uh, when you were thinking about opening up? And you were listening to the conversations about what people wanted beer wise. So I did not listen to what anybody said or wanted, <laughs> if that makes the complete okay. opposite of sense. So it was, 
I've been now in the professional brewing world for 16-ish years. Yeah. And it was more of that between the different jobs I've had, bouncing in and out from distilling to brewing and things like that, it really solidified what I wanted as a brewery. So it was kind of that if I was going to own my own, I wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it and kind of in the way that I want to brew the beers I want to brew, that old thing that everybody always said for forever. Yeah, but New Hampshire is a state where you can actually do that and not really worry about it? Oh, I wouldn't say that at all. Okay. Um, This is also a very fresh brewery, like as far as a new tap room, so we'll see if it works or not. Yeah. But it was, if it's going to fail, I want it to be... um, I'm just gonna. I'll say this again in the in the <laughs> intro, but we're recording in the lobby of a Best Western in Manchester, New Hampshire, next to the airport, and we have had a string of people mm-hmm. like walk past uh, who are either saying hi to us because they see the microphones, or some woman who just ran out like her ran. hair was on fire. Yep, and got into a car, and now they're driving now away, they're speeding off. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's a getaway. It's yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gonna read about the robbery tomorrow morning, and we're gonna be accessories to it all, but. Uh, uh, so if we get distracted as we're talking, dear listeners, that's why. Anyway. So, yeah. So it was kind of that I wanted to do beers in the way I wanted to do them and see if people respond, not necessarily listen to the market. Because I think there's a little bit of consumers really listen to how we talk about beer and the way we talk about it. And I think that's kind of how the hop craze kind of started was because all brewers were very excited about all these hops that were coming out. So we talked about it. So consumers were convinced we should care about this too. Right. So I think there's a way of conversations and education that can kind of restart. And that's where I'm very interested in playing that realm. It's almost re- taking back the hand cell. That's been missing for a long time. I think so. Yeah, I really think so. So I've talked to a lot of other brewers that they're like, well, it's just an easy sell. Why do I care? I put it on tap and it's gone. And I'm like, Uh, But what happened to the educational side of it? Like, I really like that side. And that's the side that excites me. So as now I am brewing the beer and also pouring the beer behind the bar, that that is really fun for me to interact with people again and get people to say, oh, shit, that's a smoked beer. I actually really like that. I didn't know I liked that flavor, but they would have never picked that out off the store shelf. So maybe it's a sell that works because I can give it to them and then they're going to leave my brewery with it and I can open their eyes to more styles. Do, do you find, I find that fascinating because I, I, I wonder if when somebody comes in and you can hand sell to them over the bar and you're, you have a small enough brewery where you can still man, you know, not only the brewing equipment, but also the tap room itself. And you can say, okay, let me take you on a flavor journey. Mm-hmm. Let me say, okay, there's breweries that'll say, yeah, it just sells out and that's great. But right. You don't necessarily know why it's selling out or where, you know, to send them next or how to keep them. Mm-hmm. Do you have that opportunity? Absolutely. Right now, absolutely 100% because it's just my wife and I doing everything. And again, that is a small enough operation that we can do all of that. Yeah. And as that grows, I hope we can continue on the train of staff training with our time behind the bar to have them really learn about the beers well enough. Because say if I know a beer, say 100% that is can be known. Yeah. I would love to translate it. So even they know 20% of it, 10% of it, whatever it is, so that now they can get those wave tops to the consumer and then they can, they care about it in a different way. Sure. Yeah. Maybe that's idealistic. I feel like that's important in beer though. I think so. You, you seem earnest. You seem like you care about what you're doing and and not in a, in a, in a cynical way. No, I very much so. And so it was, if we were going to open up our own place, which has been my first business plan I wrote in, I think 2009, Okay. And it was ever changing via, like we said, legislation previously. I had a ton of different states in mind. I had this, I had that, whatever. And 2009, you probably had 22 ounce bombers. And, uh, oh, absolutely. And it was distro only. Yeah. 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 And even back then, um, if people remember Berkshire Brewing, uh, they self people remember Berkshire Brewing. But what they remember about them, they were self distributing growlers to stores. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Bogoff was putting them in his, yeah. And they were driving around and I remember going to the stores and buying growlers. So that was a different world. But but then he eventually transitioned into 22 ounces and then, you know, steel rail became, you know, an icon. Yeah. Yeah. Like what it was. I still love that beer. (laughs) Yeah. But he had an intro. I, I, I talk about this every now and again, actually with the distribution model, because I think it works. He once explained to me, uh, it as a pebble in the middle of a pond Mm -hmm. where he would drop, you know, you drop a pebble and, 
the the first ring is going to be stronger, it, the strongest, and then it, it it grows out from there. So he wanted to fill in every circle in the radius around the brewery before he opened up new distro. And so he had full penetration of the Absolutely. area out in the Berkshires, which was great. And then it finally got to Boston, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And one of fine, my uh, yeah. good buddies was their sales rep for a while and they do, well did, I, I don't know their numbers now when yeah, he was yeah, there, no idea they, they did an enormous things. amount as self distribution cause they own their own distribution company right? in mass. It was an enormous amount of beer. So that was clearly really working for them. Right. Yeah. It was definitely driving home for them. Having a business model or a business plan from, from 2009 and then, you know, having one now and then thinking about how much has changed even in, you know, a decade plus kind of thing. Has that helped you think about being nimble for next year and the year after and the year after? Or it helped with, yeah, absolutely being nimble with figuring out how do we want things to work? How do we want to set up a business so that we can stay nimble and capable and you know being able to turn on a dime to do what do we want to do how do we want to do it but yeah. also i think even more than that is really solidifying the bedrock of what we wanted as the brewery like what were those you know kind of pillars that we wanted to build the brewery on like i think that's more for me what it did and then if we can be nimble within that but what are those guardrails that we want to put on ourselves yeah um Clearly, you're not operating with a lot of guardrails because in front of us right now is uh, Bear Camp, which is your Kreditsky, uh smoked gold nail, which uh, which which I love, um, and I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Um, is this selling in the tap room? Oh my god, yes, really? Yeah, it's selling like crazy. So going back to that hand sell, I totally believe in giving away a little bit of beer to somebody to be like, hey, I think you like this. Why don't you just try this? And it's also a beer that people drink and they have the first sip or two and then they realize, oh shit, I actually really do like this. I'm three sips in, I want this, I can't figure it out. And then there are a few more and they go, actually, I want another one of these. Do you have this to go? So yeah, that is actually a really well, like sells really well for us and almost has its own cult following now. I love it. Oh, look at you like being sneaky underneath the table. Well, the question something. is, is your... Uh, Coworker going to be able to tell what the carb on that crack was. Wasn't that her deal? Oh, that uh, M. Souter. Yeah. Um, yeah, we... <laughs> uh, if anybody's listening to, I guess, the All About Beer podcast, or maybe it's been on my podcast, or maybe it's been on Steal This Beer. I have so many goddamn shows. Um, yeah, we're trying to figure out if you can tell the difference between opening up a can of seltzer and a can of beer. And M claims that she can do it and that her husband can do it. And then I tried to do it with the professional studio mics that we have and they didn't go through when, so uh, it was all very uh, embarrassing. So this is forage. It is. Yeah. Much sought after fresh hop Saison. Yeah. So this is a really fun beer. Um, and the other thing about Wild Bloom is that it is um, around 99% sourced ingredients from New England. And that was one of the things that kind of solidified those guardrails was that we really wanted to make sure that we are driving home those points of who we're working with, yeah. getting local ingredients and doing that whole thing. So yes, we are a brewery based in New Hampshire, but I look at New England as a region. And that's the thing. I mean, driving up from Boston even today, I mean, there's not much fanfare when you cross in from the Commonwealth no. into here. It's all know? the and same kind yeah. of area, and it's a lot of Except the same for people. maybe Vermont, where they're like, yeah. you're not from here, and we're going to take your money, but we're always going to exactly yeah up. they're their Vermont own type of like person the yeah one kind of place yeah. right yeah it's its own kind of weird thing but yeah, New, state, but beautiful still, state yeah. different type of person <laughs> um but yeah so new england as a whole i like to think of as a region so we are sourced from new england and so we know the people that are growing every single one of our products they're all friends of mine i'm presenting with one of the maltsters tomorrow right and i want to talk about yeah. that yeah and it's it's just that kind of thing of we really like to set those guardrails of the local ingredients so how does that you know what ingredients can we work with where does that set our flavor profiles and where does that go from there so this one uses a main wild hop actually so the guys who own the hop yard up in gorham maine um found this hop brought it back to the farm and have been growing it there 
And so we don't know what variety it was. The assumption was it was probably cluster at some point because that's what grew native here in New England. Yeah. But it's mutated over time to be this kind of nectarine pineapple kind of thing. There's like a, there's like a, I, I, I'm t- I know this doesn't steal this, but like there is, there's like a marigold thing that's happening mm-hmm. off of there. There is a, like a lemon verbena kind of thing that's coming the off of The lemon verbena beer. is what I always say too. And it just makes this really fun thing. So it's. Like I, meringue, I, yeah. After nosing the hop, I was like, "Well, this has to be in a saison because I have a I have a love of yeast driven beers." Yeah, and so I was like, "This is where this has to go." Yeah. Um, what's in a name with Wild Bloom? We want the name to be an extension of the brand, in the same way we want the space that we just built out to be an extension of the brand. So we operated on a totally different model than most people for a long time. We were a tenant brewery, so the alternating proprietorship. We were operating Wild Bloom as a part-time full-time job sure basically brewing nights and weekends while i was the head brewer for another brewery sure and so we were self-distributed only around the state and so i really wanted between the label the names the everything to stand out on the shelf so when people saw it they're like oh that's wild bloom i know what that is and so having that be consistently across and forage obviously the hop was foraged they found it bear camp is a river that my parents live near gotcha so every single thing has some kind of tie back in. And so the idea is all of these want to, I want them all to exist for a reason, not just add on new beers because it's a fun new thing to do. I really want them all to kind of fall in line like it was supposed to have always been there. Can you do regular beers and annual releases? If you're using local ingredients and, and if you are talking about foraged ingredients or you're talking about there, there is this, you know, homogeneity that comes with beer these days, but is there, are people looking for, okay, I, I understand the name. I understand the thing. And maybe this is the only time I'm going to have it. And they're okay with that. I don't there- think so. I think if it was five years ago, I'd say there'd be massive inconsistencies. Okay. But today because of places like Maine malt house, who they do such a incredible job of malting with wild consistency, like it's perfect Yeah, that we now can offer the same product time and time again with our kind of flagship offerings. Do these beers have the main malt in it? hundred percent. Yeah. So there, I get asked this question a lot when we're, when we're talking on steal this, or if I'm drinking beer on the show, uh, where I talk about a rustic quality or mm-hmm. a grainy quality or like a wet grain quality, that's not showing up. No. And in, I think in it's this kind of thing. And, and what you just said, it's the quality it's made malt house. A hundred percent. It's their quality. And like, I was really struggling with how I was going to make this work with the ideas I had in mind until I was tasting their stuff. And I was like hot steeping their stuff. And I'm like, this is it. This was the missing point, and specifically one the beers we'll try after is there. These both contain their pills malt and wheat and a couple other things, Fuck. but their pale malt is so similar to a British pale yeah. because Northern Maine has a longer growing time. He malts it a little differently, and it has this incredible, incredible, like that, you know, biscuit note that we always talk about, cracker note. And that is so prevalent in their pale malt that it like tied in how I wanted beers to be yeah. in a way I couldn't have done before. And this tastes different from at least just in the malt bill from what I usually expect from craft maltsters. It's, it's a hundred percent a credit to them. And that is really with a lot of the ingredients. It's, I think it's my job to get the hell out of the way and let them do their thing. Yeah. Cause this is, you know, it's a simple recipe of pills and wheat. And then the yeast is, you know, stressed to do with the thing it's supposed to do with a Saison. Sure. And it's really showcasing that yeast and the hop on this. Yeah. So if the grain was getting in the way of a Saison, that's now a problem. So it, it's letting the ingredients do what they're supposed to do for that style. When you're talking about New England hops, though, that's a whole other story. Let's wait till we try the next beer, okay, sure. and we will right. dive into that oh, one. Oh, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. No, that's that 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 that's yeah. Fine this then. is actually a perfect beer that we can go into once you try it. You can exactly see what I'm talking about with that one. Okay. So then I'll stay with malt in the meantime. Then um, the conversations that you have with your maltster, and then the conversations that you have with other small brewers. I mean, we're here for the New England Brewers Conference. You're presenting on malt tomorrow. What's the message that you want to put out to 
the other brewers in the state when it when it comes to this because you can talk about you know the large maltsters and they 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 do the job that they're supposed to of course you know nine thousand other breweries can't be wrong Mm -hmm. um but there is this bent towards local these days does does the conversation come with just staying out of their way or does the conversation come with you pushing maltsters to be better does it like where where does that i think It depends upon your maltster. Okay. We work primarily, again, with Maine Malt House, and Jake up there does such a job of wanting to come up with new things and develop more malt. Like, right now he's working on um, this one thing that is a really, really, really pale malt. And so we have a spec that we gave him, and he's working on that now. So okay. it's, here's a new malt we want to come with. Let's work with this. How do we make this thing? So it's helping him expand his portfolio while we're doing the beers that we want to do. And so I'm working with another brewery, Twin Barns, on that malt. And he's like, sure. Does this wor- is this worthwhile for us to do? And I'm like, absolutely. You can have us buy it and then however other many people. We work with one grower that's just north of here. And he planted uh, year one. It's a moral farm. And it was an old dairy um, farm. A very interesting story. So we'll dive into that, I guess, yeah. for a sec. Yeah. And it was their fourth or fifth generation dairy farm. And as they had a couple hundred acres of corn they grew okay. for all the other dairy farms in the region. And as the other dairy farms started shutting down, because milk is very hard to compete with now, so they're all started shutting down, they had an excess of acreage they didn't know what to do with. So eventually we convinced them to grow grain for beer. So first year was 10 acres (laughs) that we had malted. Quality was okay. We had to do some blending to get it better. But I'm like, I will guarantee that we will buy it, just get a decent thing, and we'll figure it out from there. Year two was, I think, 30 or 40 acres. And now it's year three, and he's 110 acres in. And it is of such enormous quality that we had people check it. And they said, this is what you expect out of someone that's growing 20 or 30 years. But the interesting thing for them is that it diversified their portfolio enough so that their farm now gets to stay more generations. So they get to say, yeah. Yep. Where does that conviction come from, though, of saying, okay, plant 10 acres and, and we're going to guarantee it? Like, where, you as a, I mean, that that is, you're, you're relatively small. You're, you're. You know, like, where does that come from to, to, to have, it's not chutzpah, but it's, it's, it, it seems damn near close to it. Well, I care about the person. Okay. It's a, you know, I want to see beer do a specific thing. And I think it comes back to where I said, solidifying those guardrails mm-hmm. where I really knew what I wanted to do and I need to figure out how to make it happen. Okay. Like it was, this is, this is the thing I want to do with beer. How do we do it? Is there too much compromise in beer these days? Yes. I think that's without a doubt, yes. I think if you talk to most brewers behind the scenes, they're compromising on a lot of things, whether they want to admit or not. They're compromising on style. They're compromising on what what ingredients they're using or whatever else. And not a cool thing to say, but yes, absolutely, 100%. They're compromising also on like glassware choices in the tap room, who they have pouring beers now because staffing is so hard. Yeah. I think every single bit of the way is a compromise to do with the entire process. And that, you know... We're hoping to do a thing right now with our brewery now that is we don't have to compromise on. There will be things we'll have to as we go on, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'd like to set those guardrails and those, like I said, those pillars of what we're doing to make sure that's what we stay within. More with Devin Bush in a moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Give Dry a try this January with Athletic Brewing's Near Beers. New Athletic customers can receive 20% off of their first order of two six-packs or more when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code AAB20 at checkout by March 31st, 2023. And for additional beer podcasts, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice and listen to Brewer to Brewer, Beer Travelers, and the All About Beer podcast. And now, back to my conversation with Devin Bush of Wild Bloom Beer. You mentioned glassware. Uh, These are really nice. They're sort of, they're Belgian tulip-esque, little shorter, kind of makes me think of the Allagash glass. Yeah, a little bit, actually. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're nice though, and they're like they're manageable. They're kind of like a you know petite beer glass for proper sampling as you go. Along yeah. So we actually yeah. in the tap room we only do two size pours. We okay. do a full pour, which is a twelve ounce pour, okay, and then we do a half pour, and this one's like seven, okay. And we don't do flights okay. because I actually feel like a flight is a really terrible representation 
of what that beer is supposed to taste like. If you're drinking four ounces of things, I think that's a really bad example of what that beer is. Is, se- is seven ounces the is the minimum of where you want people to be? I think six or seven, yeah. somewhere in there. And I think that gives you a little bit better representation of what the beer is. You get to sit and experience it where you watch people drink flights and they either bounce back and forth between 10 of them yeah. or they take beer shots. Yeah. And that to me is not a good way of experiencing it. We're in seven ounces and I'm not going to pour you two of them. Right. You get one of them, then you can come up again and get another. If you're sitting in the bar, I'll pour you another one after yeah. where you have to sit with that one beer. And again, that's, that's me being idealist about it. I get it. So we'll see if it works. All right. So you poured a third beer and then you hit it from me, which is fun. Uh, oh, pine cone. A cozy little pale ale. By the way, before we talk about this, and I really want to talk about this fast, Bear Camp, uh, I didn't read the label, but it says, Enjoy by Moonlight, a smoky cold nail. <laughs> um, that's definitely writing the sentence, which, which, which I love. Uh, what about a Kreditsky do you enjoy about Moonlight? Well, as uh, most of the beers in my head, um, we kind of work backwards on. So typically... I think of a time and place that I want to drink a beer at. And then I start to work backwards as far as flavor profile. So I think about where do I want to enjoy beer? How do I want to do it? What's the specific time, place, date, all that kind of nonsense. And then I write a flavor profile around that. And then I work backwards and figure out what style it represents. Okay. And that one was one of my favorite things to do is I love fires in the winter outside. Sure. And I love to have like a snow fire. So you're hanging out while it's snowing outside okay. and you're having a big fire outside and that's what you're doing. You're drinking a beer. And that was the beer that was ideal for that exact situation. I, 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 I dig it. I also like that you changed uh, one of the O's in your logo to look like the moon and, uh, as, as well. So almost all of our cans great. have one Easter egg on it. Okay. Like the O uh, yeah, and Pine I saw Cone. that. I saw that. Yeah. Forge does not. We'll go through the other ones. Okay, but yeah, almost yeah. all the cans have an Easter egg. And the cans being that uniform kind of thing yeah. was the exact idea of because we were only self-distributed, people being able to find on the shelf. You know, the other thing just about the aesthetic of the cans as I'm looking at them right now, and, and it's I'll, I'll post pictures um, on, on the website, but it's, it's you know, typical aluminum cans and then, you know, wrapped uh, in the way that, that, that you would think. But Wild Bloom would make me think of some, without looking at it, it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be a garden out of control kind of thing. Or this is going to be wildflowers on the side of the road and just this you know, huge mosaic of, of, of whatever. But the simplicity of your labels, which is something that I, I, I started talking about again at the beginning of the pandemic, where this tells me exactly what I want to know as opposed to... All the fluff for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fluff that can go onto a can. Some of it's fun. Depends upon the brewery. Some of it. Yeah. And I also think there's a point to, if you're sitting in a brewery, a beer, uh, a brewery can have a million different labels available there because you know, you're sitting there, you know, who's buying. But if you're in a store, you, it needs to be something someone can read. Yeah. Um, has that helped? Do you think in this age of so much choice and so much confusion, but also like little time in the stores as well that people I are, think so. Yeah. And I think specifically it really helped with us selecting our customer, if that makes any sense at all, because the p- customer who is attracted to these labels that is attracted to these kind of, say, generally speaking, lower ABV beers that are more restraint than knock you over the mouth with flavor Yeah, that it's kind of selecting the customer that we want long-term. That makes sense. So it's kind of figuring out if you like this, you like this, you like this, and it's picking out what you like in a customer in the same way that there's some breweries that, you know, a lot of their beer tastes incredible in four ounce glasses. Yeah. And it just knocks your feet off and that's great. And I love that they do that. I don't want to do that. And that person that likes that probably doesn't like these cans either because it's not aggressive. It's not in your face. It's not the whole thing. So it's figuring out where in beer do you fall? Selecting your customers. I mean, there, there are, there's breweries that are going to say it's the fire hose approach. We're going to, you know, we want as much as, you know, as we can get, you know, as strong as we can. 
it sounds to me like you're trying to cultivate a, a a loyal following or somebody who will trust what you're doing kind of thing. And if there's people who don't get it or don't care that you don't care, I, I don't a know. little maybe, bit, maybe care is not the right Care's word, not the right yeah. word because I want, I want to be, you know, I'd love to be everyone's favorite beer. I'd love to have one of my beers be your favorite beer, but I'd also love for you to say, actually that one from you, I kind of hate. Sure. Because if you like all of them, which is great, that's awesome. But I love people that say, holy shit, I love Bear Camp, but I really don't like your Belgian blonde. Sure. But that's okay. But because that's always going to be the case, though. I mean, there, there's beers that Sierra Nevada makes that I just, because I don't care about particular styles, that I'm not going to enjoy, you know? Or yeah. You know? And I think it's that kind of that selecting your customer kind of thing for me is important. So we were talking about the other day, my wife and I, that it, it's incredible that we've had our tap room. It's been open for close to a month, and we've barely had to bust tables. We need to remember which table someone sat at so we can go wipe it down after. We have the nicest customers because they are cleaning up after themselves. They're making sure everything is tidy, which is not like any other tap room I've ever worked in, I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing that people are super respectful. They want to try the beers. It's, it's, it's a different type of thing. Yeah. And our space also feels very different, if I can talk about that for a yeah, second. No, I, I, it's I'd very to know about it. yeah. light, bright, and airy, and trying to keep it in that way of it's fun, it's inviting, it's community-driven. Um, without feeling like it's a place to drink 76 beers in a row. Yeah, you don't want necessarily people showing up just to get badges on an app. And it's actually really interesting because um, it's been a while since I've been behind, you know, the bar pouring beers. And the untapped person, you can spot right away. And I actually had a conversation with a guy who's a fairly become regular now, as regular as a person can be for a month in. Yeah. And um, I said, you know, I think the untapped thing is interesting because you stopped interacting with the people you were with. And he goes, well, I'm checking in beers. Why do I care about them? Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting way where almost everybody else, there's no screens. Everyone's hanging out, talking to each other versus this guy who wanted to sit at the bar away from his friends and just check in on beers untapped. I'm like, that's a really bad way to experience a place. Yeah. Or just life in general. I wrote about this in the, in the book, drink beer, think beer, where, I was with Brandon Hernandez, who's a San Diego beer writer, and we were at, God, it might have been a green flash, or it was somewhere, I forget where we were, but it was a guy who was clearly on a first date and who kept checking in all of the beers on his flight as he was doing it, and it was so, it was so cringy to watch kind of thing, and I know it's still happening in 2013. Uh-oh, you got a picture or something, but yeah. It absolutely is. Like, that's yeah. the kind of thing that, like, and turns people off from, sure. ex like, you know, wanting to be with you. Yeah, it's, and it's a beautiful, you know, nice pale wood and just, like, a nice, open, inviting space, and... Yeah, to get out of the phone, and I'm guilty as most people of spending too much time staring at my own screen. As am um, I. You know, I, I don't use Untapped anymore, but like it's on. I it might be on my phone, but um, uh, yeah, I just I, I I prefer having the conversations about the beer these days, and I think when the space is conducive to that, and that goes to the aesthetic of it. Like if it's kind of a dumpy place, and it's like my phone is the best looking thing. In I, that's there, a then great that's, point. Yeah. yeah, and so that goes back to something I actually been thinking a lot about with beers. That I think for a long time breweries have been able to ignore the kind of really important tenets of business, which is you know location, location, location. Like that was always super important. Yeah, and I don't think we could ignore that anymore because you know having a space that's 10 miles out from three other breweries doesn't work anymore. No. And so I think that's going to get really interesting where if your tap room is just very bare bones, super industrial, the beer is fine or, or good or great. Yeah. I think you're going to have a really difficult time competing for that customer to drive a little bit further out to go see you. People should come for, this beer that we're drinking right now for Pinecone, which does not strike me as so when I when I first saw the name, I was like, okay, this is going to be old school Cascade. This is going to be Simcoe. This is going to be uh, it's it's not that. It's got this key lime pie kind of thing going on with like a little bit of like a dusty lime. I say candy There's, orange. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is where we can talk about main grown hops. Yeah, okay, yeah. So. The hop yard up in Gorham, Maine is where we get 
all of our hops as of right now. We'll source from other places too, but as of right now, I'm good friends with the ownership group up there, a guy named Ryan, another guy named Terry and whatnot. They're awesome human beings and they grow incredible hops and it's fascinating what Maine, coastal Maine specifically, yeah. does to hops where we all know what Cascade tastes like. This is 100% whole cone Cascade. <laughs> Bullshit. 100%. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I love that I'm throwing it out there and they're just not able to pick it up. But yeah. you shouldn't pick it up because Coastal Maine does that exact thing. That's why this beer is so much fun is because <laughs> it's this fun. Cascade grown in Coastal Maine does that thing. It goes that key lime, that orangey, that, yeah. that candied. And so the other one that I really love to play with from them is Nugget. So Nugget go, grown, you know, Pacific Northwest, whatever else. It has that kind of earthy dirt mushroom thing. It's great in a lot of beers. But Coastal Maine almost goes like really lime zest and nugget doesn't taste like lime zest but it does in coastal maine so they just do an incredible job and have very 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 cool hops and this is where i was saying if we set those those guardrails going back to that again of only using local ingredients that means we get to play with these things so what does what what does that hop do in x beer what does this thing do in that beer so by setting those restraints it breeds new creativity for me I'm running through this fun thought exercise in my mind that what if Sierra Nevada actually like founded itself on the East Coast in so, like northern New England. So you just nailed it. Forty two um, years ago. Like this this could be what So happened. that was exactly the idea. So Ryan, the guy who owns the hop yard, yeah. his one of his best friends was getting married. Okay. And he said, I need a beer that's gonna showcase my hops. What do you want to do? And so I said, I got the idea. Let's make a pail. You grow beautiful cascade. Yeah. Let's do it all whole cone. Let's do as if Sierra Pale was created. This was 2020. I said okay. in 2020. I didn't know the story before you yeah. started saying Yeah, so that's exactly is. what that was. I was like, let's do that thing and let's showcase it. Let's showcase this hop for what it is. We plan on doing a one-off batch of it. And then we drank it and we're like, well, this has to exist all the time now. So they do a sizable-ish for my size amount of whole cone that they don't send off to be pelletized. So then I yeah. can keep it as whole cone throughout the year. This is fun to drink. This, it's a really it, fun beer. It really is a fun beer. And it just, it's now knowing that there's cascade, it, it's just one of those. But that honey cracker note on the finish, that's all that main pale that I was talking about before okay. that like, that was that kind of missing ingredient that was missing before where you couldn't get that really refined cracker note out of other, like, you know, previously locally grown malt. Cause we just didn't have it. So that brings up the really interesting point that I that I was thinking about is if you're talking about these local ingredients and hops and malts are, are, are probably the two most you know important like local use I think are great but you know if you have local malts and local hops it's cool to say yeah we use those it's better to say we use those in a way that complement each other or that like fit in a jigsaw puzzle because like, anybody can say it's all local ingredients and that's great if it tastes like you know if it, if it tastes like garbage, like that's not doing anybody any favors. It doesn't know. And that's where I think it's, you know, working with these people who do an amazing job. It makes what I do easy. Yeah. I'm getting out. Like I said, I'm getting out of the way of a lot of these ingredients. That is a prime example of letting that cascade and that pale malt shine. That's really all that is. So it's, if the growers and the people that, you know, process didn't do such an incredible job, I don't have a job. Yeah. Um, all right. I see you reaching for one more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will drink that with you while I ask you the question. Yes. Uh, actually I'll ask you the question of what is this? This is Daisy Hill. This okay. is our kind of flagship Saison. Okay. Um, this is another really fun kind of beer where it's a really high spelt and a funny thing about, you know, sourcing those local ingredients is Jacob at Maine Malt House was looking for more spelt and, you know, whatever else. And it's just flake spelt, so he didn't really have to process it to malt it, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But the thing that happened was he went to go buy more of it, and he found out the Amish bought it all out from under him. Oh. Yeah. So. Crafty. Crafty Amish. It's <laughs> I don't want to get into too many trouble with too many more groups <laughs> these days. Um, well, that's delightful to be drinking, though. Um, suited for wandering saison. Um, so speaking of wandering, mm -hmm. uh, 
I, you've mentioned that you listen to the show, uh, but I've been asking people the green door question for, for quite some time now. So uh, with the premise being that the good place in the, the last season of the, of the show uh, introduced the concept of the green door mm-hmm. you can walk through a green door and be any place, anytime, anywhere with whoever you want. So if here in this best Western just outside of the airport in Manchester, New Hampshire, there is a green door down the corridor of the 100 rooms that you could walk through after this conversation is be, uh, is over and be in any pub or any bar anywhere in the world. Where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? So again, because I am a listener, I, I did think about this question a lot. And there's, Which is great. I love having people on the show who, because we've been doing this for years and I've been asking this question for years. It's like, wow, that's a really good question. It's like, wow, thanks for not listening to the show. Um, you know, like I get it for some people, but it's like, really? Come on. You don't like, listen? Like, come forever. on. Yeah. Um, you don't but support? Yeah, so, but you've been thinking about this. So I have been. I and I have, uh, we'll say two answers. Okay, great. One answer would be... Um, my grandpa was very influential in me being like growing up. My grandparents always lived a half mile away from me. I never got the opportunity to have a beer with him because sure. he passed away when I was 15 or 16. Yeah. And so I would love to do that in my tap room now. Gotcha. So that's one answer. All right. The that's other answer. answer is I would love to be in city tavern in 1787. Okay. George Washington racked up a monumental uh, bar tab of $15,000 equivalent today. Yeah. And it included uh, a lot of bottles of London Porter. So I would love to be in that one where it was, he was just getting out of his presidency and it was a lot of the founding fathers drinking a ton of London Porter and bottle yeah. and Madeira. And I'd love to be in that Madeira. room, yeah. a lot of Madeira. And I'd love to be in that room. That'd be a fun room to be in. It'd be a very fun room to be yeah, in. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Just seeing what's said, the country's only, you know, 11 years old. old. Right. And there wasn't necessarily like the specter of war or anything. It's else. done. So, yeah. Like, we're yeah, now like developing the yeah, country. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's the promise years as opposed to the, mm-hmm. to the wary years. We're, we're rebuilding. We're building, not rebuilding. We're building. Yeah. So it'd be a very, you know, the conversations about how do we form everything for the long term? My only. This is not my, I'm not answering your question for you, but I'm thinking about being in that situation as well, right? Which, which is easy to do when I, when I ask this question quite a bit. It's like, oh, can I fit into that situation? It'd be weird if I was sitting with you and your grandpa. But like, you know, going back in time and hanging out with Washington, the thing that I would miss in all of that is Advil and clean water. Yeah, yeah, like both in, of those like in a yeah. huge way. Because, yeah. like, yeah, would I love to just be drinking like casks of Madeira? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, like, am I like down for like vomiting on the cobblestone? Indoor outside? plumbing, I want. Absolutely. Yeah, like, but like the like the hangovers, terrible, must have just been like unbearable, monumental hangovers. Yeah. Like a fifteen thousand dollar today bar tab. Yeah, monumental hangover. Yeah, yeah. like you know, it's, better living through chemistry kind of yes, thing is is, is, yes. is what I want out of all of this. Um, so actually, the, but the yeah. question is, I've listened to a lot of the episodes. You've yeah. never answered that question. I have answered this question. Have you? I I've didn't listen to this question a couple of times. Okay. Um, it, 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 it varies. If I was going to go back in time, I had a really fun afternoon with my dad at Motor Lambic in mm. Brussels uh, years ago. And if I could repeat that day, the way which location? It was, uh, the, the, the original. Okay. Um, and then we went to delirium tremens mm-hmm. we went to a whole bunch of other places. That was, a, that was like a really, uh, a fun, fun afternoon. But, um, yeah, I, aside from that, like going back in time, like there aren't a lot of places that like, I wish that I could go to because it's, it's, it's a fun thing to think about of like forward thinking or uh, uh, previous thinking, but not necessarily forward thinking, you know, yes. like, like we're going to be hanging out at a bar later on tonight. Like, Maybe that's like where I want to be at that particular time. Absolutely. So that, that, that's sort of the, the, the fun thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why when I looked back, it was like look, thinking about that question. It was always, where did I want to go that I couldn't go now? And mostly I went historical. Like, where did I want to go be a fly on the wall kind of thing? Yeah. What would be interesting to be in that room? Because if I, re, if I experience a thing I've already experienced or go back to somewhere I've been, then it changes the whole thing entirely. Yeah. So it's almost like I want to do the thing that I didn't get to. My, 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 my 
go-to answer I think has been at least in the back of my mind is I really enjoyed day drinking at Blind Tiger uh, mm-hmm. in New York City mm-hmm. and just like being I quiet did it a and, lot like, underage myself. yeah well did you yeah Look so you. I had my brother's ID and we used to take the train in okay because growing up in Connecticut yeah, you yeah, could you catch could the train down, in so, yeah. and I had his ID so we'd go there significantly when I was underage <laughs> fantastic that's uh... I convinced House of Beers and this had to be 2005 okay to sell me Arrogant Bastard across the bar so I could bring it back to Connecticut because I don't think it was distributed there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who are listening who are being Arrogant Bastard. In 2005, that was a big deal. It meant something it, then. It meant something, yeah, yeah, it might have been four whatever, yeah. but yeah, it meant something then. <laughs> um, well, hey, thanks for doing this. This was, this Thank was you. a lot of fun. This was a pleasure to taste the beers. And uh, uh, one of these days, I'll get up to your part of the country. Absolutely. And, yeah. You hang out in the mountains for a couple of days. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's calling. We have a group of four breweries all within around 10 minutes of each other in northern New Hampshire. Okay. Just in the mountains. Great space. Okay. Yeah. I'm, it doesn't take much to convince me. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Those beers were honestly a lot of fun to drink, so I hope you'll give them a try should you find yourself in New Hampshire or just point your car in that general direction and go try for yourself sooner than anticipated. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. You can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and get great new content as well as all of the archives going back to 1979. Questions, comments, and concerns, guest suggestions, you can let me know by emailing. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. You can also follow All About Beer on all of the social media platforms at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Speaking of that, this episode was sponsored by Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Now you can drink great tasting brews all month long without feeling hungover. Whether you're giving dry a try for a few days or for the whole month of January, Athletic Brewing's near beers have you covered. New Athletic customers can receive 20% off of their first order of two six-packs or more when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code AAB20 at checkout by March 31st, 2023. And again, you can learn more about advertising by emailing us at info at allaboutbeer.com. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.